G'day, and welcome to another edition of Stick Together, bringing you workers' stories, union news, and discussion on social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast right around the nation on the Community Radio Network. I'm Matt Conkle. On the show this week, we speak with Don Sutherland about the annual minimum wage case. We also take you to Melbourne's industrial southeast, where around 30 workers at the Yakult factory are engaged in indefinite strike action in support of better pay and conditions. We'll hear from workers on the picket line about their struggle. But first, some union news. Two workers were killed when an approximately five metre deep sewer trench collapsed in the Victorian regional centre of Delacombe last week. A 34-year-old man was killed instantly, and a 21-year-old died a day later in hospital. The first workers on the scene jumped into the unstable trench with nothing but their bare hands trying to dig out the men before equipment and crews finally arrived. It took more than two hours to free the 21-year-old man who was buried up to his waist before rushing him to the Royal Melbourne Hospital. A vigil was held for the two men out the front of the Victorian Trades Hall Council, where Dr Paul Sutton, head of the OHS unit at the hall, again called for the Victorian Labor government to introduce strict industrial manslaughter offences to hold to account the managers of businesses which negligently kill their workers. The trade union movement in Victoria is calling for industrial manslaughter laws here in Victoria. Those industrial manslaughter laws would see companies and individuals liable for Um, penalties, including jail time, equivalent to the manslaughter laws in our Crimes Act. These laws exist in the UK, they exist in Canada, they exist in the ACT, they exist in Queensland. They are not, we're not asking for anything unique here. We're asking for Victorians to have the same protections that are granted to other workers in other jurisdictions. It's been reported that the two men were working without a trench shield, which would have protected them from the collapse. Last Tuesday, about 50 union activists descended on the coastal Victorian town of Lawn to protest out the front of the Victorian Transport Association's annual conference. The protest raised awareness of the VTA's links to international stevedoring company ICTSI, whose Victorian operations were subject to a two-week community picket at Webdock after a union activist was fired late last year. The protest came a day after a dozen activists crashed the VTA's conference, protesting its support for ICTSI's union-busting methods. These protesters interrupted former Liberal Ports Minister David Hodgett's speech by unfurling a banner and holding up posters highlighting ICTSI's links to dictators across the globe. Both protests resulted in the VTA being forced to adjourn the proceedings. Here's Colin Vernon, Secretary of the Geelong Trades and Labor Council, speaking at the rally. So we come down here yesterday, 17 activists, women, men, unemployed, traditional unionists, we come down here We went in there and we told them the type of stuff that you're doing, you're not going to get away with it. You're not going to get away with it in Sydney. We told you there. You think you can come down here and hide? We know you're here. And they thought they'd turn the lights off on us. They kept us in there on the dark. But I tell you what, you might have had us in the dark, but we still see what you're doing and we're not going to let you get away with it. You can go to the corners of the earth and we'll still be there. The mighty Australian trade union movement standing with the international unions will not let you get away with it. And what I say to the transport industry is, think about who you associate with. The International Transport Workers' Federation has vowed to continue its campaign against ICTSI, both in Australia and wherever they operate internationally. 
A sweeping restructure of the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union, the AMWU, has been endorsed by a special national conference last week. The restructure, which will take effect from July 1 this year, sees the unification of the union's four divisions. Until now, the union had been organised in four different divisions, a printing, a food and confectionery, a vehicle building and a general division. The restructure was proposed after a review conducted by former ACTU Secretary Greg Combay, in which, submitted in 2016, warned of potentially catastrophic decreases in the AMWU's membership, in part due to a decline of manufacturing within the union's coverage. National Secretary of the AMWU, Paul Bastian, has assured members that the new structure would improve governance and ensure that each of the former divisions of the union would retain representation within the structure. It would also ensure that the majority of delegates to its national conferences would be drawn from the rank and file. He went on to say that this move would lead to a more unified purpose for the union, finalising the amalgamation of unions forming the AMWU in the early 1990s. United Voice members at security services company Wilson Security are set to vote on strike action after frustration at stalled negotiations boiled over last week. The union has been seeking a new enterprise agreement for more than a year now, and Wilsons, who are one of the nation's largest security contractors, are dragging out these negotiations, blaming the loss of contracts as the reason for failing to offer fair wage increases and the protection of existing entitlements. Wilson Security has lost significant contracts in Victoria in the recent past, including the Department of Housing and the National Gallery of Victoria. The loss of the contract at the galleries was said to be linked to Wilson's ongoing involvement with Australia's offshore refugee detention regime. The union has said that the loss of the Victorian contracts is not related to wages and conditions, and that other firms are competing with Wilson's on a level playing field. United Voice said that if Wilson's wants to stop losing its contracts, that it should end its war on workers, sit down with the union and negotiate a fair outcome for all its Victorian guards. Another enterprise agreement has been terminated, this time at a bulk grain terminal on the Adelaide docks. Company Viterra applied to the Fair Work Commission to terminate the agreement after three years of deadlock negotiations with the Australian Workers' Union failed to result in a new agreement. The termination, which affects about 50 workers at the terminal, wipes out hard-won redundancy conditions, returning the workers to the national employment standard that caps out at 12 weeks' pay, regardless of their length of service. It will also cut pay by up to 24%. The company has made no guarantees to maintain existing conditions, instead looking to continue its aggressive approach to cutting wages and conditions in the further negotiations with the AWU. The termination now places a ticking time bomb in the laps of the union members, who face losing all their conditions and being placed on the minimum ward conditions as early as August this year. The union, citing a lack of faith in the system, refused to engage in the termination case, allowing Vatira to lead unchallenged evidence about the damaging nature of Union 1 conditions. In making the decision, Fair Work Commissioner Peter Hampton accepted that it would be likely that there would be cuts in wages, but still found that terminating the agreement was in the public interest. This is the most recent example of a company successfully wiping away decades of union struggle, circumventing the collective power of union workers under a broken bargaining system. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Each year, the Fair Work Commission hears a case about whether or not the minimum wage should rise and by how much. This year's case has started with unions and employer groups submitting claims for their preferred amounts. 
The ACTU has submitted one of its most ambitious claims yet, seeking an increase of $50 a week, while most employers are pushing for increases below the current rate of inflation, which would be an effective cut in the spending power for low-paid workers. To discuss the case further, we spoke with former National Industrial Officer of the AMWU, Don Sutherland. We're in the throes of a national wage case again. We're set to see the Commission hand down a decision in May, but can you give us a bit of a background on exactly what the annual wage review is? The annual wage review is a statutory requirement imposed by the Fair Work Act on the Fair Work Commission to annually review the state of minimum rates of pay. The process enables both employers' organisations, well, it enables anybody really, but the primary, primary players are employer organisations and the Australian Council of Trade Unions. And they are enabled to present a submission in a highly formalised process that is intended to uh, enable the Fair Work Commission to arrive at a decision as to whether minimum rates should be increased, and if so, by how much. This annual wage review affects the 2.3 million Australians who rely on the award rates. Once the Commission has received these submissions from unions, employer groups and any other interested bodies, what's the process from there? How do they reach their decision? Well, it's a highly formalised process based on the polite submissions and then a polite responses from the parties to the first set of submissions. And then, at a certain point, the process will shift from the exchange of written documents into what are called consultations, in which any of the parties may be invited or enabled to actually appear in person in front of the five-person panel that is headed by the President of the Commission, Ian Ross. Is this a situation where the Commission will dance its way to the middle between the employers and the, and the unions? Uh, it's a good way to put it. Uh, in, in the polite process, that is, if you do not defy the process required by the Act and you go along with its requirements, the Commission will go somewhere in between. Normally, normally it will go somewhere in between what the employers are willing to tolerate and what the unions are seeking to achieve. And that is rarely a midway point between the two, that is the difference between what the employers want to pay and what the unions are seeking. It is, re- it is usually less than that. No matter what it is, the employers will always whinge and, of course, it will always, the, the decision commonly contributes to rising inequality because it does not raise the minimum rate enough to move those people who are on minimum rates who are stuck in poverty or on the edge of it. And it does not, they have not, to this point in time, made any significant contribution to reversing the trend to inequality. Now, Don, looking back to how things were done before this current regime where the Commission set wages or set increases to the minimum wages every year, how was the minimum wage set? And are there any lessons that we could learn from looking back to that that process? Up until 1993, the essence of it was that firstly, awards and award-based bargaining was the guts of the foundation of union activity uh, and, and basically set the benchmarks or the minimum rates for all the different classifications in each award. 
Now, nevertheless, what workers would do, often of their own initiative, and sometimes initiated by their union officers and so on, that they would pursue and win wages above the minimums in the award, and these were called over-award struggles and lead to over-award payments that sometimes might have, might have been codified and often weren't, but they were policed by good union organisation on the job. Now, over time, what the union centres would then do would collect data about what the actual rate of pay was above the minimums in the awards. And that survey data would then go into a what is called a national wage case. We've seen Sally McManus last week outline some of the changes that the union movement is pushing for as part of the ACTU's Change the Rules campaign. One of those is a return to bargaining at a level higher than the enterprise, including up to industry bargaining. Now, this, in a way, mirrors some of the things that you've just spoken about, setting wages across industries instead of at an enterprise level or relying on the government processes through the Fair Work Commission to, to raise minimum wages. Do you, do you think a return to industry bargaining is a good idea? Absolutely. And every worker should be thinking this through, discussing it with each other, and learning why. The fundamental reason, the core reason, that workers formed unions beyond their own workplaces is because employers would destabilise a wage increase in one uh, factory or workplace by invoking the threat of competition from another employer. Now, the use of competition by employers in 21st century capitalism is as prevalent, although it has a different shape to it, it is as prevalent as it was when unions were first formed late in the 18th century and the early years of the 19th century. So industry bargaining, the purpose of it is to take away or reduce significantly the capacity of any employer in Australia to dominate over workers using the threat of competition. The enterprise bargaining system has seen conditions in an industry vary quite widely depending on the ability of unions in particular enterprises to demand and then subsequently win industrial outcomes in the on the shop floor what we're also seeing now is this threat uh, used by employers to put people back on to the award so we've seen this at places like cub we saw it at parmalat we've seen it at all these big disputes where agreements are either being threatened for or threatened by termination or indeed are being terminated in the cases of horizon and the colliery workers in in wa has enterprise bargaining led to a stagnation or an ossification of awards and created this massive imbalance in the workforce? Yes. Yes, it has. Enterprise bargaining is rooted in the endorsement of competition as a power lever by employers. As soon as you get enterprise agreements up to a reasonable standard, as was occurring up until about two, three years ago, depending, arguably then you have an increased gap between the highest paid and the lowest paid. And that is always bad for workers because at some point, and especially if the workers' rights to pursue award improvements are denied or severely restricted, then eventually the employers will say, well, we've got them where we want them. The gap is so large, 
we can now use what's available to us in the Fair Work Act of 2009 to drive down the wages of the highest pay closer towards the award. That was Don Sutherland, former National Industrial Officer with the AMWU. An extended interview with Don is available online. Just head to soundcloud.com and search for Stick Together. That's Stick Together as one word. You're listening to Stick Together, union news and worker stories broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. About 30 workers at a probiotic dairy manufacturer, Yakult, are taking indefinite strike action in support of higher wages and improved workplace conditions. Frustrated at Yakult's refusal to remove a process of grandfathering, where newer employees get fewer rights and conditions than the longer-serving employees, and a refusal to offer fair pay, the workers have taken their protest to the gates, bringing the factory to a complete standstill. We visited the workers out the front of the factory in Dandenong, in Melbourne's industrial southeast. I'm Rachel. I've worked here for eight years. So I'm Suji. I work here for four years. Rachel, can you tell us why this industrial action has happened? Basically, the management haven't um, really negotiated well. Um, over the past few years, we've gotten less and less money, and it's sort of come to a head where any anything we ask for, we don't get it, and um, over time. All of the benefits are being taken away bit by bit. The new employees don't get the same um, perks that those of us who have been here a while are getting. So it's just sort of, we've had enough and they're not listening. So but they've been um, having a 340 million uh, uh, profit for last year, but we ask only a small amount of benefit we, because they're getting all the benefit for last year. So, but they don't want to come and talk to us for nearly now one week. So the company is doing quite well. I saw the profit announcements making quite a lot of money. What is the company offering as far as pay? They've offered and um, they've given us a 2% increase already, um, which barely keeps up with inflation. So, I mean, most of us who have worked inside the factory area are committed. We're loyal. We've worked there for years. In other departments, people come and go. It's like a revolving door, but our loyalty isn't rewarded and our experience year by year isn't rewarded with any extra money. So it's pretty disappointing to see the management always getting more and more. Um, they get new cars every couple of years. They you know, are willing to invest in new um, projects for the company. But as far as the workers go, we're treated like you know, we don't exist. What is it that you want the company to give you? Why, what are your demands out here at the front of the, the factory? Okay. Uh, last year, uh, two years ago, when we have a negotiation for EBA, that we asked actually uh, 3%. So he offered us 2.5%, but we agree for that one. So, But this this time when we have an EBA negotiation, we asked 2.5%, but he want, uh, he want to give us a 2%. But may, because we all the members think if we accept that one, the next uh, couple of years when the negotiation come in, he won't give us a pay rise or he may be offer 1.5. Every day he cutting, every day they get more profit, but they're cutting all the benefits who getting us, but they get all the new cars and they get holidays, they got um, like, you know, all the things from the company. 
companies they don't they won't look after all the bottom um, workers we think uh, we we deserve uh, 2.5 percent but now we came outside stay here uh, one week without pay so now we need a uh, three percent plus rdo because all the older people who employ more than six years ago they get rostered AO, but the new young people like new people employ here like me we don't get rdo so we now asking three percent plus rdo yeah so so rachel you've you've got rdos but suji doesn't now the demands from the workers we just heard are 3% pay increase plus an RDO for the new workers. How does it make you feel to work in a factory where you get something that the people next to you don't? I mean, it's patently unfair. Why should I get benefits? Like, I, I work, they work just as hard as I do, but if, you know, I need to do something, I can take an RDO. If they need to do something, they might have to take a sick day and then they get lambasted for that at the, you know, yearly performance review. So it's really unfair. Suji, how does it make you feel, mate, when you're working in a factory and not everybody's equal? Yeah, it's very disappointed because we all work like a team and we help each other because we all do the same work. It's the same thing we're running, same thing we're doing. But uh, every day since the new CEO coming, like five years ago, he cutting all the benefits from people. I've relied on the benefits here to you know live my day-to-day life work isn't everything i've got a lot of stuff going on outside of work as does everyone so it's frustrating and difficult to see like i'm i'm from america originally and it's very easy to take for granted the stuff that you have here as far as workers rights go but i appreciate them because i grew up and we didn't have those things so it's it's I see Australia going the way that America went and it's very, I don't know, it's sad and it, it makes me upset and angry. That's why I'm willing to be out here for a full week. What's it been like? Is this the first time either of you have ever been on strike? Yeah, we had one in uh, four years ago when he come to CEO position, but we stay only one day. He agreed to give us a benefit. And he, we had another um, negotiation uh, two years ago and then we have uh, some a breaking union like we are not strong like before but this time people think they are bullying too much they're taking out everything away even when we have a you know the small thing they're taking out from us and then people thought we have to come out and we have to have a voice and stick together to get our because we work hard um, really hard so we deserve it you know your cult's all about their branding and their reputation and that was enough at the time for them to back off and say, all right, let's 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 negotiate. Whereas this time, apparently they don't care anymore. They haven't been out to talk to us once. They're playing chicken now. So it's funny to see how they're responding and what their values are. What's the feeling amongst the, the workers here? How are, they, how are they feeling? How's morale? I think they're expecting us to be demoralized inside. But, I mean, I can speak for myself. I'm just getting more and more determined and angry every day because... I know coming up there's going to be bills to pay. My partner doesn't work full-time or even part-time. And, yeah, she's actually on disability. So it's really frustrating to know that they're getting their, you know, bonuses, company cars, sitting inside not talking to us, and I'm going to have trouble paying my bills um, for standing up for myself. 
Yeah, I have my because I bought a house three months ago. I have a new mortgage. My wife working uh, um, part time. I have a son, so he's uh, 18 months. Very hard to uh, live in day to day basis. You know, you're gonna get not get paid. You don't have income, but um, we have to sacrifice something because it's. I think people are strong here now. They want to fight till the end. So ho hopefully, we will get what we ask for. Robbie Dent is the NUW organiser and a 30-year veteran of the dairy industry. Uh, well, the EBA expired in December, the 30th of December, but we were negotiating from the middle of October that the company put 30 claims on us to basically strip out most conditions in, in the agreement. And what type of conditions were they looking to take away? Uh, they wanted like this uh, disputes procedure, working on Saturdays and Sundays, things to do with penalty rates, all that type of stuff. Also, too, they want to strip out uh, the union dues going through the payroll system, all stuff like this, you know. So was this another example of a real slash and burn attempt from a company trying to take away everything and bring people back to the bare minimum? Yes, I would say that because the company have a, this uh, ideology that uh, they'd like to do it on everyone is uh, assessed each yearly to see what pay increase you would get. People doing the same under the same classification would be on different rates of pay, a divide and conquer issue, basically. We heard from speaking to the members at the front here is that there is a, already a two-tiered system inside the factory where some people receive some conditions that others don't. Can you tell us what the response of the members has been to this grandfathering provisions? Uh, yes, the, most people had a roster day off, but new employees are not getting the roster day off. So what one of the claims we have in the, in the agreement is the people that have not currently got the roster day off have an option to take it or not but the company don't want any roster days off they just hate them they want to get rid of them for everyone the company is refusing to negotiate with the members um, what other steps have they taken since you've gone on this indefinite strike they haven't come near us they're not available just just haven't spoken to us at all and have they sent the lawyers in uh yes uh, last night we got notification that we we're going to be subpoenaed, not subpoenaed, we're going to be, have to appear in the uh, Supreme Court today to answer the charges that they are relating to the dispute. The members have told, told us their demands. Um, they were looking for 2.5%, but now that they've been forced into this, they're, they're, they're pushing for three. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about your cult, the business, and, and whether or not they could come at these kinds of claims? Now, the company are in, in a very strong position financially. They had a profit of $322 million last year. So it's not it's nothing got to do with money. They have plenty of money. You just don't want to give it to us. What are the next steps from here? What are the what are the next steps for the campaign to win this agreement? Well, it looks like we're going to be here next week as well. We are still open to discuss with the company. I think a bit more pressure from the picket line will probably push the company forward. If you'd like to show your support for the workers, the protest camp is at 10 Monterey Road, Dandenong South. You can also follow The Dispute on Facebook by searching for the National Union of Workers. And that's all we have time for for this week's show. Thanks to Don Sutherland and the workers at the Occult Picket Line for speaking with us. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast right around the nation on the Community Radio Network. The program is made possible by the financial assistance from the Community Broadcasting Federation. But if you'd like to help keep workers' stories on the air, call your local community radio station today and subscribe. The podcast of this show and other recent episodes can be found at www.3cr.org.au forward slash stick together or by searching for us on iTunes. 
A link to the extended interview with Don Sutherland can also be found alongside the podcast link. And if you'd like to learn more about the annual wage review, you can head to his blog at donsutherland.wordpress.com. If you'd like to get in contact with the producers of the show, you can call us on 03 9419 or email us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and we'd love to get your feedback. Tune in next week when Annie McLaughlin will cover the recent national walk-off of early childhood educators, the largest in the sector's history. But finally remember, no matter where you are or what you do, there is a union for you. My name's Matt Kunkel. Until next time, stick together.